We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Helping you unwind after a long day of work. I think he's kind of a boob. Can't really take the day south as a person. Can't go out there and be a moron. It doesn't work like that. The nightcap. We're eating their food. On WGR Sports Radio 550. Who was I talking about? Who did I call a boob? That was Mike McCarthy. Oh, well, I was right on the money with that one. <laughs> and he's not... A, you surprised at all he's not a head coach for the season? No, because he's kind of a boob. Me neither. Mike McCarthy. Oh, I wanted him to go to the Jets. As a matter of fact, that was uh, pregame of Breakfast with the Bills. That really? Sunday when we were when the Bills were facing the Packers. That's where that, that was came a while from. ago. That's where it came from. I really wanted him to go to the Jets. It's all right. They got a <laughs> well, they got bit of a head case, instead, so it's okay. I'm not. They got googly eyes. I'm not as sure that that'll fail like it was with McCarthy, but it probably isn't going to go great for them. Um. Yeah, there's that. Joe Mourinho, the Draft Network. Why are you saying it like that? What? Mourinho. Mourinho. <laughs> it's not Mourinho. That's not, it's just how it came out. I don't know. It keep, it's consistent It's my right accent. Now. What accent? It's my accent. I don't... Okay, you live in Buffalo. Yeah, there's a Buffalo accent. I live in Buffalo. I don't say it like that, and I'm pretty Where sure nobody Buffalo, else... Though? It's my Orchard Park accent. Is your Sorry. Orchard Park accent that much different than my Depew accent? Hey, you, you never know. You never know? You never know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Joe Marino. I did it again. See, I didn't do it on purpose that time, though. Joe Marino. There it is. He did it. Um, he posted a mock draft today just on the Bills. All seven rounds. And... If you go through this pick by pick, I think Derek, you described it in the in the break as like this is the best case scenario for pretty much every pick, or like for the draft. Um, this is ideal, and to me, it includes wide receiver, which is important. And a lot of what we talked about is if they if the Bills want to explore Antonio Brown, or if they don't want to explore Antonio Brown as an option. What are they going to end up with a receiver for next year? Like, what would a Brown trade compare to? And we talked about Metcalf and a bunch of free agent op- options. Brown definitively better than pretty much all of those for 2019. But looking forward, maybe not. Looking at this year's draft, so Marino has the Bills taking Jawan Taylor, tackle out of Florida in the first round, ninth overall. Okay? I think we'd all go, all right, cool, they need one. Would we all get super excited for it? Probably not. It's an offensive lineman. How excited can you get for offensive linemen? But you would acknowledge, hey, they need this, and hopefully a good pick. Round two. You might have helped me with this name here. J.J. Arkega Whiteside. Is that Arcega Whiteside? I almost went with Arcega Whiteside. Out of Stanford. It's Arkega. 
Probably. You don't even know. Probably sounds better than Mourinho. You're supposed to be the draft expert of the show. That doesn't mean that I know how to pronounce all names. Okay. This is I a, know how, it's only round two here. I know how to pronounce Marino. I'm not asking you some round seven kicker from Hawaii or something. That's right. You do know how to pronounce Marino. Um, so Arkega Whiteside, uh, he's described as a refined route runner who dominates at the catch point. Sounds pretty good. Outside receiver. Also important. If they drafted another receiver in round two, how would we feel about that? I'm cool with it. Right. Same. Like I'm glad they addressed it. Maybe I would have liked them to do it in round one, but at least they did it in round two. It's kind of where I'd be. Um, hoping that this guy could really come in and be like the next Juju Smith-Schuster, which the Bills could have had. Um, round three, Isaac Noda from Georgia. Tight end. Probably Nauta. 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 They need a tight end. So I'd like that too. Like these are the needs of the Bills. Oh, I'm waiting for you to say this one. Bo Ben Shoal. Ben Shawl. There you go. Not bad. Ben Shawl. Inside offensive lineman. Round four. You could have two rookies starting next year, which would probably be an upgrade. And then he's got them drafting a defensive tackle out of Kansas in round four as well, because the Bills have two. They also have two fifth round picks, Terry McLaurin. Ohio State receiver. I would be. I want them to draft two receivers in this draft, a thousand percent. And then a corner out of Troy, running back. There's my running back, round six running back. It's what you need to do. Darwin Thompson, love it. And then uh, edge rusher in round uh, seven. Another running back in round seven. I missed that one. Two late round running backs. You're bound to get one to be pretty good. Including, I mean, sometimes these trends kind of stay healthy and alive. But a pit running back isn't a is not a bad idea. So, Marino has the Bills going offensive tackle, wide receiver, tight end, guard, defensive tackle, receiver, corner, running back, pass rusher, running back. Sounds like a sounds like an A to me, an A minus maybe, but an A. All the all the uh the only thing that it obviously won't take into account is Brandon Bean likes to move up and down draft boards. So I don't think they're going to get 10 players in these picks. But if, for example, that's how the first five goes for Buffalo, I'm taking that every day of the week. So think about it this way, too, as we circle back around to Antonio Brown and whether that's a good idea for the Bills. If it costs them a second-round pick, essentially what the Bills would be doing is they'd be trading, if you take this mock draft here, they'd be trading Stanford receiver J.J. Arkega-Whiteside for Antonio Brown. Now, that can even be debated. I, I mean, obviously, it's easy to sit here and say, oh, I'd rather have Antonio Brown. Who was the other guy? But if you think of it this way, you'd be trading a 22, 23—he's got to be in there age-wise— a 22- or 23-year-old receiver with upside that could very well be super good for a long time for a 30-year-old receiver with character issues. That's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is you're getting Antonio Brown for a guy you've never heard of. And both, there are there are merits really to both sides of that. Um, like, Brown is such an interesting idea. And it's a tough one. I almost want him to be traded just so we can be over with it. Or be done with it. Just see what it costs. Because if it did cost them more than a second round pick, I don't think I'd want to do it. Even if they came at me with, hey, give us a second and a fourth. You're going too far. 
Pittsburgh. I mean, come on. Look at the way the Steelers have done it, by the way. That's where you should kind of look at their model. They have drafted and developed wide receivers. And they've continued to draft and develop wide receivers. So, when a situation like this comes along, that they're able to move on and not take a big hit. No matter how good the receivers are. They did this with Mike Wallace and Emmanuel Sanders. And Plaxico Burris. And Plax- Right, originally they did it with Plaxico Burris. And they replaced him with Mike Wallace. As Mike Wallace came along, they developed and brought in Emmanuel Sanders. Mike Wallace wanted a big contract. Well, by that time, they had a sixth-round, former sixth-round pick in Antonio Brown coming on early in his career. So they were able to move on from a Mike Wallace and still be okay. So they let Mike Wallace walk, and I think he went to Miami right after with like a big contract, and Miami didn't get a whole lot out of that. Emmanuel Sanders, all right, he played with Brown for a couple years. He wanted a bigger contract. So what happened? He went to Denver. Pittsburgh, they did all right because they had Antonio Brown. I feel like I'm missing another receiver in here. Well, I'm getting to Juju eventually because now the Steelers continue to do this. They continue to cycle. They continue to draft and develop wide receiver, and it's not like they're picking these receivers super high in the draft. Brown's a six-round pick. Sanders, I think, was a third-round pick. Wallace might have been first. Juju was second. That's what I want to do eventually. Because now Pittsburgh's in a spot where they have maybe reached an end, ro- an end road with Antonio Brown. And they can actually consider moving him because they have a phenomenal young player in Juju Smith-Schuster. And they have a second-round pick from last year, James Washington, that I'm sure they'd like to get a look at. And knowing Pittsburgh's track record... They're probably going to end up turning James Washington into a good player, and then when Juju wants out, James Washington will turn into some super good wide receiver. I don't think the Bills really ultimately are in a spot where they will or should do this. For Brown. Just ideally. Not talking about just the player here, but just like the ideals of the trade. That type of deal sounds more to me like a team that is on the verge of of being a legit Super Bowl contender, and they've tried, and they've tried at receiver, but they really need to find the elite guy right now, and they might not have the time to develop that guy. Like, someone whose window is closing. Like, who could that be? Like, the Chargers, for instance. It's not going to be them. I haven't heard, but or I haven't seen or read them anywhere linked to him, but... Like, the Chargers to me would be a team that that would make sense for. The Chargers are Phillip Rivers on the uh, end of his career, kind of. And Keenan Allen, their best receiver, is getting a little bit up there. I think he's maybe almost 30 years old. Maybe that's a team that goes, all right, let's try to really win a championship while we still got our quarterback. Window is starting to close a little bit. Let's go get Antonio Brown. Green Bay. How many more years of Aaron Rodgers do we have? Three or four? Perfect. Let's get Antonio Brown. Let's try to win a Super Bowl this year. The Bills' window isn't open yet. The Brown trade, to me, sounds like a deal that a team would make whose window is closing. The Bills' window is not open yet. They still have time to draft and find their own Antonio Brown. It's one way to look at it. 
The counter to that could very easily be, yeah, but they never find the Antonio Brown. They never find that guy. Even when they had a Juju go just after they picked a receiver, they ended up with Zay Jones. It always seems like we don't we get the second best guy. And this would present an opportunity to get the best guy. You can hear it that I'm on the fence, though. And maybe that's where the Bills are. I'd hope that they are there. I'd hope that they're at least considering it. Because here's the thing. The culture stuff and the character stuff and the locker room stuff, it is important. But it is not as important as talent. It's not. And we've got a team here that has stressed it whenever they talk that it is the most important thing. Whether they actually feel that way and they'll actually act on that. It's been kind of touch and, touch and go with that. But you can't just pass on a guy at that position being that talented because he's a diva. Which Brown is. But this team better be willing to take on a diva receiver if he's uber talented. Because there are a lot of those guys. And even though they're frustrated, and even though that they can get in people's faces, even their own quarterback's faces, they still produce. Look at some of the top receivers in history. Terrell Owens was the biggest diva receiver in the sports history. He's second all time in receptions and yards, and I think touchdowns. Like The production was always there. And if you were able to put up with it, you were going to get just tremendous production from that position. Michael Irvin, diva. How about today? Of course you got Brown. Odell Beckham, who has miraculously extended the career of Eli Manning by like five years. Arguably the most talented player in the sport. Is he a head case? Is he hard to handle at times? Yes. But if you're able to put up with it, if you're able to stomach it, if you're able to get through it, guess what? You're getting a 1,600-yard receiver who can give you 15 touchdowns and over 100 catches. This Metcalf, what's the big red flag on him? Like, haven't I heard or read, like, correct me if I'm wrong here, Derek, because you would know better than I would. Aren't people talking about, like, hey, this might be the next, like, diva? I haven't heard, actually, I have not really heard much on a diva perspective with DK Metcalf. I was jokingly going to say that he's too buff. Uh, (laughs) But (laughs) the biggest thing with him is uh, injury concerns, actually. Um, He was banged up a lot at Ole Miss, and then he wasn't used a lot this past season in addition to injuries. So people are thinking maybe he's a little raw. But he's very talented and he can be taught. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing. Like, I've heard nothing on character concerns with him because he's a very willing learner and he's, you know, very cooperative with coaches. Okay. Because, you know what? Just talking about the diva thing here has me thinking too. Like, sometimes when people bring up the Patriots, it has me rolling my eyes. But, like, in this this context, like, the they... Steelers did collapse based on a bunch of personality this year. Did they collapse? I mean, they went 9-6-1. They collapsed. They should have had the AFC North. 
Yeah, they should have. But I, I don't want to just sit here and say it was because Brown didn't show up and Brown was in. It his wasn't just because face. of Brown, though. No, Ben Roethlisberger, I honestly think, is a character concern, and nobody talks about it. But then, how come that Le'Veon hasn't affected Bell, them the past five years? Le'Veon Bell stayed away for the entire season. But see, I'm not willing they to sit here and say that, like, that actually they matters. They have coaches that much. like Joey Porter who are a nuisance. They have, you know. They have a lot of influences in that locker room that really were a problem. But th- that team has gone to AFC championships. Yes. Because of their talent. They've had bad yes. culture. They've gone to AFC championships. I'm just trying to set it yeah. up that, you know, it's not just Brown in that locker room. No, oh, sure. Okay, that I agree with. Yeah. Roethlisberger maybe might even be more fault. Yeah, no. Roethlisberger is a guy that they, nobody talks about Ben Roethlisberger as a character yeah. concern. And he talks honestly, about his guys in the media all the yeah, time. Yeah, he like. bashes the guys in the media. And you know what? If McDermott was his coach there... Oh, there would be none of that. So Ben Roethlisberger, I think, is as big of a problem as Antonio Brown, if not You think so? Yes. I think Ben Roethlisberger gets a pass for a lot of things, and I don't know why, because he's not necessarily what I'd call a saint. Well, I know why, because he gets gets them to AFC championships, and he has won Super Bowls. No, it's because he's a quarterback. No, but it's because he's a great quarterback. Exactly. Right. But it's not like the guy was a poster child for off-field. But that's the thing. Like, if your talent is... there is a point where talent will trump trump all the other stuff. Roethlisberger is an example of that. Roethlisberger, if, any, if Blake Bortles last season went out and trashed his teammates, he'd be cut. But this is kind of the overall point in like where I'm at with the Bills. Like where are they phil- philosophically? At some point, the talent does have to triumph because the Steelers are sitting over here and they seem to have no culture. And short of New England being the big, the best dynasty, like the only thing standing in the way of the Steelers going to Super Bowls almost year after year after year is that the fact that we've got the biggest, the best dynasty in like NFL history that they have to run into every year. So, and New England is like, that's the team, like I said, I, I'll roll my eyes when... Oh, then when they're talked about sometimes and the way they do things, but not in this context. Like wide receiver, think about them. Because I was thinking, I was just mentioning these diva receivers and two guys I didn't mention. Look at New England, because they are the team that a lot of people say they have the culture, right? Do your job, all of that. And what do they do? They take shots at guys who have character questions, and two of them were at wide receiver. They did it with Randy Moss. And it worked. And he had argu- did he have the best best statistical re- season ever as a as a receiver? Didn't he have like 23 touchdowns? He had something crazy. 2007. Randy Moss came in there and it was the best receiver Tom Brady's ever had. That worked. They took a shot at it. You're going to fail sometimes when you take a shot at it cuz they did do it again. Remember when they brought in Chad Johnson? who had worked his way out of favor in Cincinnati. The Patriots took him on, and he was basically a non-factor that entire season. He did have a catch in that Super Bowl, which is an interesting, uh, fun fact. If you're going to ever work that in somewhere, Chad Johnson does have a catch in a Super Bowl. Chad Ochocinco, if you want to call him that. But even New England's the example. They'll take shots at guys, and they're not afraid of it failing if their structure and everything around it is good enough to handle it. And part of me does respect that the Bills were trying to build up to that type of structure where they could 
They could handle this stuff. But you want to get there at some point where you can do it. And I think they should be there. Year three. They should be in the spot, structure, foundation-wise, where you can handle an Antonio Brown. The other guy I didn't mention for New England because he's not a receiver, Albert Hainsworth, who might be the biggest head case like ever. And that failed, but they were willing to take that shot. That's where I want the Bills to be. Not just as like that dynasty. I don't want like I do want the Bills to be that good, like as good as New England, of course. But I want them to be in a place where they can take risks like that. And that if it fails, they'll still be okay. Eight oh three oh five fifty is the phone number. Let's go to John. John, you're on the nightcap. What's up? Hey guys, good evening. Um, you know, I'm I'm with you 100 percent here. Um, I know you're kind of on the fence with Antonio Brown, but if we're not at least entertaining the idea, there's something wrong with the organization. Um, you know, I understand, like, yeah, culture, 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 but you're right. I mean, talent trumps culture. I mean, Brown had more receiving touchdowns this year than all of the Bills receivers put together. It's insane, and. You know, he, he had over 40% of the Bills total receiving yards for the year. So his production levels have not dropped off. And, you know, he's not the type of receiver. He's not, you know, this isn't T.O. at the end of his career. This isn't, uh, you know, Ocho Cinco, like you just mentioned, was at the end of his career. He's productive. And he looks like there's no sign of slowing down. He's getting doubled, tripled. And he's opening things up for a guy like Juju. I think Juju's... In, immensely talented mm-hmm. at USC really wanted the bills to take them. But look, I, I think it'll open things up obviously for other receivers, for Zay Jones, for Robert Foster. Um, you know, I, I understand the character issues. I get that, but aren't there clearly issues in Pittsburgh in general? I mean, oh yeah. Like you, like you guys said, the egos in that locker room and it's not just Ben Roethlisberger who, you know, obviously isn't the, uh, the best, Judge a character, the best character guy in that uh, room. But then you got Le'Veon Bell who holds out for a full season. You've got Mike Tomlin who, whose ego I think is maybe larger than all of them combined. <laughs> and look, I think he's a great coach, but at the same time, it's not just AB. And I, I would give up a second round pick. You know, I, I know you guys were talking about JJ Arcega White, Whiteside. I, I, I watched him a little bit at Stanford. He was. He's a big, big receiver, goes up and gets it. Not necessarily a burner, but uh, you're getting a bona fide superstar in this league with a contract that's actually pretty favorable over the next three right. years, and we have the cap space to do it. Right, yeah. John, thanks for the call, man. And actually, I didn't mention this. I was going to earlier, but you're, when you mentioned the contract's favorable, the team taking on Brown, looking at his final three years here on his contract, your cap hits for the team taking him on would be fifteen million, then eleven, and then twelve and a half. That is not a lot at all. And maybe you would have to pay him if, if you're Buffalo, just to get him to come here. Maybe, but if not, those are really good cap hits for that player. So I agree with that. Um, yeah, I would. I would. I would. Ob- obviously, not. I wouldn't crush them if they wanted to do it. I'd have to decide whether I like it or not, but I would respect it. If they took that risk and they traded a pick like that for that player, I would respect it. I would respect the hell out of it. 8030550 is the phone number. 
Connor Orr from Sports Illustrated coming up next. He was on with One Bills Live on this topic as well as some other stuff. Uh, earlier, Joe Flacco traded to Denver. We'll touch on that a little bit before we get out of here as well. Quick score update. There's one game in the NHL that is um, involving the Sabres playoff race. Pittsburgh, who is two points ahead of them. That's a good sound for Sabre fans. Pittsburgh's two points up on the Sabres. Edmonton, up one to nothing in the first. I think they're still in the first period. Yeah, first period. So Oilers up one to nothing on the Penguins. And I think the Sabres and Penguins, yes, they have. They played the same amount of games. So Buffalo will have a game in hand after tonight, which means potentially they could be in a playoff spot as early as Friday or tied for a playoff spot as early as Friday. It's not out of the race. They're not out of the race yet. 803-0550 is the phone number. We'll play Connor Orr back coming up next here on the Nightcap on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap. Joe DiBiase, Derek Kramer hanging out here on WGR. We got Penguins and Oilers on in here right now. It's on national TV, NBCSN. Sabres just two points back of the Pens. And the Oilers are not in our conference, so it's, that's an easy one. You know who to root for in that game, and it's one nothing Oilers. Um, a lot of stuff on Antonio Brown today. A lot of stuff on the Bills at wide receiver. Not a lot on the Sabres. We'll get back to football in just a second here. Um, but, like, this is a real opportunity. I mentioned it a little bit earlier. Your next three games are against the number 12, 13, and 14th teams in the East. So, big opportunity to get, like, here's the win streak right here. Win your next three against three not-so-good teams, and suddenly you're on a four-game win streak and you're probably right in a playoff spot if you were to win the next three, depending on what the other teams around you do. All right, back to football. Let's go to Connor Orr from Sports Illustrated on with One Bills Live earlier. The contributor for MMQB, the great website, mmqb.si.com, former NFL.com reporter, Connor Orr on the Subway Fresh Take Hotline with us. Hello, Connor. How are you this, uh, this afternoon? Doing well, thanks. How are you? We're great. You made it off the subway, I guess. You have a little timing issue with the subway, right? Are you in New York? Yeah, yeah I was going to say, you guys up there are probably laugh at us for saying that snow is delaying everything. But, you know, <laughs> we, we got about five inches. But that, I know that's child's play to you guys. So. That's nothing. Yes, that, well, no, that's significant. We'll, we'll, we'll tip our hats to you. Good for you. But uh, I've got to ask you, this stuff going around the, the NFL, what did what did you make of the Kareem Hunt signing? It's for the veteran minimum. The Browns have absolutely no risk involved except for the PR, you know, backlash that they're going to get. Um, and what do you think is when do you think the ruling from the NFL is going to come down about how long he's going to be suspended? Well, you know, I think that's the interesting part. I mean, I've seen reports circulating that the Browns will know soon, um, you know, uh, exactly when Kareem Hunt will come back, but. To me, it was just a question of, of why. I mean, you know, you already have a talented backfield. Um, you have a locker room that, uh, you know, you, you retain the interim head coach um, in the belief that he's done a good job cultivating some sort of a spirit or a culture in the locker room. I feel like this is sort of a divisive move. And, you know, not to get into any of the other issues surrounding, you know, how much due diligence did the Browns do? Um, you know, did they talk to the right people before signing Cream Hunt? Did they sign him too soon? And, you know, I think all those questions are, are certainly valid. You got to ask those questions, and you got to wonder about, I think, Connor, John Dorsey's connection to Kareem Hunt, right? I mean, he liked him enough to draft him in the draft a couple of years ago. Obviously, he must feel like he knows the kid pretty well. That has to be a factor in, in this move by Cleveland, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, he did cite, um, you know, his own pre draft interviews um, when he talked yesterday. 
and obviously, you know, uh, that people have said that he's gone through this with, with similar players, but I, I think that you have to treat every case individually here, um, and certainly, regardless of, of what happens here, Dorsey owns this stick now, and or he owns this signing, and I think that this is something that is certainly going to be on their shoulders. You know, if there's any missteps moving forward, if there's any sort of hiccups in the process, I mean, remember, this was you know, just back in, in around Thanksgiving that we had heard about this in the first place. And so, um, you know, I, this is certainly a, uh, a high-risk maneuver um, for a team that is, you know, may not even have him as the, their lead ball carrier. And certainly not, I mean, given how well Nick Chubb played last year. Hey, Connor, this is in absolutely no way a, uh, an attempt to minimize the, the, uh, the action that uh, Kareem Hunt did. But the fact that it's recorded on video makes this worse, doesn't it? Just as it has for other incidents similar to this. Don't you think it makes it, it, makes it more real to people? It makes it uh, uh, something of note, mostly because you can look at that video over and over again on social media and on television all the time. Certainly. I mean, the optics of that are, you know, are, are, are painful. You know, it's, it's hard for some people to watch. And, you know, I think that's the, the toughest part about having something like that happen on video is, you know, uh, people who, who suffer from something like this, who, who that's happened to before, they see that happen again and they see, you know, players getting a, a second chance. And so, you know, I think that it's difficult from all ends of the spectrum. But certainly, I mean, as you saw with Ray Rice and a lot of these other people, they, they have a hard time finding a second chance when when it is a documented on video though i think that you know the hope is moving forward that that people kind of understand that it doesn't have to be caught on video to be taken as seriously as, as this issue was <clears throat> and i i understand the difference that it makes when people can see it over and over again but do you think the nfl will ever get to the point where there will be a real zero tolerance policy no and and i think that you know if you if if you think about it, I mean, you know, is, is that what makes the most sense, right? You know, I mean, is, is that, you know, if that happens, are, are people more encouraged to cover it up? Are people more uh, motivated to, to not report an issue? Or, you know, are they um, more likely to try to, to, to force somebody to cover up an issue because they know that that's their one and only chance? You know, I think that in society we've seen largely as a whole, you know, rehabilitation therapy, understanding your actions, you know, these are important things here, um, but, uh, you know, we'll have to see kind of what course the Browns decide to chart with, uh, with Kareem Hunt and, and his road back as well. On the line with Sports Illustrated staff writer Connor Orr, who covers the NFL. All right, let's get to another issue. Antonio Brown um, tweets out today, uh, thank you, Steeler Nation, for a big nine years. Time to move on and move forward. Uh, hashtag new demands, which I don't know what that means. But is this new today, Connor? Certainly we knew that there was a rift between the Steelers and Antonio Brown. Uh, it, it, if anything, what does this look like? An attempt for him to kind of force their hand to trade him away? What do you make of that? <laughs> I, I joked on uh, on our podcast earlier today that, you know, it's sort of like Michael in the office just yelling, I declare bankruptcy, <laughs> and thinking that that means that you can declare bankruptcy. Like, you, you can't just say, I demand a trade, and then, <laughs> and then you yeah. get traded. You know, it's not how this works. And I think that, uh, you know, I think that uh, some players are a little bit confused about, uh, you know, exactly the, the machinations behind all this. But, you know, the Steelers are going to need a really solid return on their investment to trade away the best receiver of his generation at a time when they have a 37-year-old quarterback, uh, a thinning Super Bowl window, uh, you know, an aging defense. Uh, you know, it, it makes no sense to trade him unless they get uh, something uh, in return. And perhaps this is Antonio's way of saying, you know, kind of poking the bear a little bit and saying, hey, you know, uh, if I come back, I'm going to be a real pain in the, in the you-know-what.
Can the Steelers really ignore it, though? I mean, he quit on him once, essentially. Yeah, I think that the, the end incident, I mean, what happened towards the end of the season, I think is something that transcends sort of the typical game of ping pong that an unhappy player uh, plays with management. You know, this was letting your teammates down. This was, you know, leaving during a, a game where, you know, you had a chance to make the playoffs. And I think that that is sort of the really, I think that's the point that Mike Tomlin is not going to get, be able to get past. A lot of his teammates aren't going to be able to get past. But um, unfortunately for the Steelers, it's also going to be difficult to sell this player to somebody else and expect that you're going to get, you know, better than maybe a second or third round pick. Well, that's one of the big questions. There are 31 other teams that would love to have Antonio Brown. The question is, what's it going to take to get him? What's your best guess about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I can't imagine a team doing a first-round pick right now. I just think that would be really surprising to me. You know, we polled each other on the podcast today. If you were a general manager of a team that was maybe in moderate contention or close to be in playoff contention last year, would you do it? And, you know, I think not only does the history show that most Super Bowl teams don't have that, that star transcendent wide receiver on it, but, you know, most teams aren't able to function when there's a player who gets to operate by a different set of rules. And so I think that, you know, GMs are getting smarter. Um, you know, while they are getting more aggressive, they're getting aggressive for the right players. And I'm just not sure that Antonio Brown gives that return that, that Steelers fans might be expecting. And I don't see uh, multiple first-round picks. I, I don't really even see one first-round pick. Connor Orr from uh, SportsIllustrated.com, staff writer, covers the NFL as our guest. Connor, is Kyler Murray a, a surefire first-round prospect, do you think, at quarterback? I don't think he would have chosen football over baseball if he was not assured of that in some way, shape, or form. Uh, you know, and I think that's beyond just um, an agreement that your agent makes. I think that's you know, being smart. Uh, listening to the right people and understanding that you're probably not going to make it out of the first round, right? Because at the end of the day, you have to think about your family, you have to think about your finances, and as long as he gets taken in the first round, he automatically does better than he does financially in baseball without the weight uh, through spring training and all that other stuff. So I think that he's got a pretty good idea that he's going to be a first-round pick. I think there's a handful of teams, especially in that sweet spot for him, which might be in that 10 to 20 range, um, where they need quarterbacks and they need a change, and he, he might be the right player there. So, yeah, I, I would definitely expect him to go in that first round where exactly I'm not 100% sure yet. Is there an issue in your mind as to his slight bill? He's 5'10". Or what, uh, is that going to be – I think for a lot of teams that's got to be an issue because of just the fact that, you know, you don't know if the guy can hold up to the physical pounding the NFL dishes out. Certainly, yeah. I mean, you, you know, I was reading some comments from Pat Shermer the other day, just at the beginning of the season, um, about Kyle Laletta, and he talked about sight lines, how important that is to him, you know, sight lines. Being able to see over your offensive lineman, it makes you a more accurate quarterback, maybe not as explosive as someone like Kyler Murray, but you're going to complete more passes, you're going to move the ball more efficiently. And I would venture to say that about half the league still probably thinks this way. Um, more than half the league. That's why we still see Russell Wilson going in the third round or, you know, why Drew Brees wasn't a first-round pick. You know, height is something that really, really matters to these coaches, and I think that, you know, this is certainly the first day of of weeks and weeks and weeks of, of us dissecting uh, someone being 5'9", which, as 
as speaking as someone being five nine, I can only imagine uh, what he's going through right now. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. I feel sorry. I, I, I feel your pain as well. <laughs> Where would uh, Kyler Murray go in the 2018 draft? In, as far as those quarterbacks, where do you think he would? Uh, how would he line up with those guys who went the first round last April? You're saying where would he have gone if he entered last April, or where is he that, going to go? How does he compare to the guys who went first round last year? Is he the bottom of the barrel there, those first rounders? Or yeah, I think so. I, I think so. I, you know, I think that that lines up with um, you know what a lot of scouts have said about this class. I mean, last year was a was a once in a decade class. You know, I think that we got 2018. Um, maybe we didn't see anything really like that since 2004 in terms of the quality and the depth of the class. And, and some of the different skill sets, but all guys who, uh, uh, you know, uh, coaches were, were willing to trade up for or, or kind of build their offense around him. Even Lamar Jackson is getting an offense built for him next season, and I think that that's something that really speaks to the quality and the depth of that class. I think Murray is getting in at the right time. You know, I'm not really sure outside of Dwayne Haskins and maybe Drew Mock, you know, where he would fall in terms of, of those guys. But really, that's your, your, your biggest competition. Man. And I think that he was smart to sort of pinpoint uh, the, the opportunity because there are going to be teams desperate enough to take a chance and to build something that he can succeed in. Connor, we're a month away from free agency. If there was a position group in the NFL right now that in, the, in this upcoming free agent market that is stronger than it's been in a while or maybe that stands aside from the other position groups that are available, what would that be? I, I mean, just the defensive front. I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, Jadevian Clowney probably, you know, resets the market at that edge rusher position. You know, he's 26. Um, you know, he can get two more contracts um, out, of that, out of that lifespan. DeMarcus down in Dallas is another guy who, you know, you're, you know, getting after the passer is such a premium at this point, and you don't see guys at that age hitting the market right now. Um, so, you know, I, I, I would guess that most of the fuss is definitely going to be around them. But also I think, you know, given that it's a down quarterback class, I think you're going to see a little bit of buzz around guys like, you know, Teddy Bridgewater and Joe Flacco and, and a bunch of those. Well, Joe's not technically a free agent. will have sort of a similar sort of market uh, to a free agent quarterback. Connor, last Friday you published a pretty interesting note on SI.com about the Alliance of American Football. Can the Alliance of American Football – be a path back to the NFL. One weekend in the books. What did you think of the play, and what do you think? Is this a, a viable option for players trying to fight their way onto an NFL roster? Maybe, maybe not Christian Hackenberg, who we talked yeah. about in the story. Yeah. Uh, he had a rough, uh, he had a rough one there. But uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be great. You know, I think if uh, the one thing you know, I, I, asked, I actually asked a bunch of my coworkers today about what they thought, and you know, we compared it back to the XFL or when we would try to watch CFL games. Um, you know, during the off season. And I think that one of the things, you know, the quality of the broadcast is better. So it immediately keeps you in front of the TV longer. It keeps people's attention. The coaches are good enough where they can run a pro-style offense, you know. And, and really, you know, I think that that's all the NFL has ever needed is a sustainable sort of league like that where they can pluck players from. The Alliance, when I talked to Heinz Ward last week, was was overjoyed about the, the possibility of having some of his players go to the NFL. So, if you have that working relationship, that cooperation, and that quality of product, you know, I, I think that they're in a good spot. And to be honest, I think that the XFL is probably a little worried. They're relaunching in, in 2020 that they may have already gotten beaten to the punch here. Yeah. Hey, Connor, thanks. Thanks for joining us. You do a great job of uh, digging out some nuggets, especially now when things are pretty quiet around pro football. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. 
There is Connor Orr. We'll take a quick time out here and wrap things up next. If you got any last thoughts, Antonio Brown, Bills at receiver, Sabres, anything you want, 803-0550 is the number. It's the nightcap on WGR. Quick segment here. I'll give you a quick score update. They're in the first intermission. The Penguins are up or down one and nothing to the Oilers. Good for the Sabres. Final thoughts. I have not decided whether I want the Bills to trade for Antonio Brown. So after all of that, I have no idea what I would want. But like I said, I would respect the hell out of it if uh, the Bills decided we're going to trade for Antonio Brown. You can listen to the whole show on demand at WGR550.com. Stay tuned. Special edition of NASCAR Live coming up next here on WGR. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.